joined by Dr. Amanda Hesselbright, who's a senior research fellow at the UK Dementia Research Institute, another UK DRI people. Mm -hmm. He's doing well for the DRI today uh, at University College London and Dr. Josie Jenkinson, who is a consultant. Uh, you, you were Jenkinson before, didn't you? No? Did Sorry? Recently, or am I confusing you with somebody else? <laughs> no. no, you're confusing me with someone else. You're still Josie Jenkinson, who is a yeah. consultant psychiatrist for older people at Surrey and Borders Partnership. NHS Foundation Trust, and you're a jobbing frontline NHS psychiatrist and a researcher. Yes, I am. Yes. Um, okay, so why don't we, uh, Amanda, could you introduce yourself first? Yep. Um, yes, so I work at the UK Dementia Research Institute, which is part of UCL and part of the Institute of Neurology. And the bio, the fluid biomarker lab is where we work. And that's now been running for around eight years. I think it was set up to, as part of a big drive to improve research into neurodegeneration at the Institute of Neurology funded by a large grant. And so we set up then, and we have kind of two arms to what we do. Firstly, we work with clinicians or clinician researchers at the Institute of Neurology who see real life patients and run research studies and they collect samples from these people and what we do is biobank them um, actually in our lab and it's it's only I guess a small biobank but it's got examples of pretty much the whole spectrum of neurodegenerative disease. And then secondly, we work with, with those people at UCL, but also with people across the globe, um, measuring large cohorts, uh, measuring different biomarkers in large cohorts to help kind of push forward, push forward um, research um, in, yeah, into, into neurodegeneration. So in a nutshell, that's what we do. So am I right thinking then, so when, so are you validating other people so when they come up with a new biomarker do, do they do you test that for them am i misunderstanding that well i mean on the blood based one so the is this about the blood well i mean basically if you're interested in a biomarker and there are established ones that we know uh, very much uh, tell us about diseases such as, I mean, Alzheimer's disease, the most accepted biomarkers for those is amyloid beta and tau. And those things are actually measured in clinical labs as well. But we, we can measure that in, in, big, in big cohorts for people as a kind of confirmatory thing that, that, that we think that biochemically these people have Alzheimer's disease. But what we also do is measure, like if if people find new biomarkers, we work with people to do discovery studies. So this is where, so say you're a clinician and you've got, you see every day people in your clinic with frontal temporal dementia. I know you've spoken quite a lot about that today. And so you take samples from these people and then you look in say their blood or maybe their cerebral spinal fluid. And you, you look at all the proteins that you find in these, in this, in these fluids and compare it to people that you know definitely don't have the disease and you can find different proteins. So that's the kind of start of the biomarker process where then we say, okay, so this protein is different in this person who we know has a disease to the one that we don't. So 
this protein could possibly tell us something. We need to try and work out what it's telling us, but then we can go on and perhaps it might be a diagnostic marker. It might be just a marker of damage to the brain. And we have a number of those, but we would try, if there isn't a, a test available for it, we can try to actually develop one. So that's so that brings us nicely onto this question. So one of the hot topics in the last few years has been this blood test for Alzheimer's, which because of course so many people uh, struggle through for many often for long periods of time trying to get a proper diagnosis. Josie, we're going to come to you. This is why this is my tenuous link between you two, because I think Amanda's one of the ones that's obviously trying to work on better ways to get that kind of diagnosis and in your in fact actually let's come to you next before i make this point so can you tell us about about your work and could you would you mind just for the sake of this for those people that are watching who don't know could you just give us a quick romp through what does the standard care pathway for a dementia diagnosis look like in this in the uk yeah sure do the first bit and then do your research go on okay i'll do my best <laughs> so i'm josie and i'm a consultant psychiatrist for older people and i work with a psychiatric liaison service in uh, the northwest bit of surrey at st peter's hospital in chertsey so liaison services are services that support um, physical health hospitals so acute hospitals um, with mental health support and a big part of the work I do is supporting people with dementia. And I also have research interests. So I've done a PhD in health services research and I'm deputy director for R&D here at Surrey and Borders. And we do a huge range of research here at SABP. So a mixture of um, commercial studies, interventional studies, um, homegrown studies, evaluations, surveys, the whole load of things that we do. Uh, we are actually part of DRI as well, but we're part of the Imperial DRI in care research and technology. So we have um, a big project here called TIM, T-I-H-M, which is about using technology to support people with dementia living in their own homes, staying in their own homes. It started out as initial study here and has developed into a monitoring service. So it's a good example of, a, of research turning into actually practical application. So it's great to be involved in that. So from the point of view of the question of how do people get dementia diagnoses in the UK, there is variability uh, across the country, but I can tell you how it works in Surrey. And it will depend a bit on how the person first presents with a problem with their memory. So probably the most common scenario is that someone will go to their GP or a family member will support someone to go to a GP or seek help that way. And they'll get referred to what's called a memory clinic. And these memory clinics are usually, not exclusively, but usually run by mental health services, uh, specialist mental health services for older people. Um, something that's um, happening more and more is integrated care systems, so integrated care hubs, where you don't just have mental health 
providers looking at people with memory problems, but you have a mixture of different professionals. So GPs, geriatricians, occupational therapists, mental health practitioners, psychiatrists, etc., all in one place. And that is something that we have in my bit of Surrey that I work in. We have an integrated care hub. So in my patch, people get referred by their GP to a memory clinic, or they may be seen in one of these integrated care hubs. Another thing that might happen is somebody might be in general hospital for uh, another reason. So say they've had a surgery or an infection and they might pick up that there's some problems with the memory whilst they're in hospital. And then they would get referred to a team like mine who would come and um, support them and do a bit of an initial assessment and try to signpost them to the best services once they've left the acute hospital. We don't usually make a diagnosis of dementia for somebody whilst they're in the acute hospital um, in the midst of having other things, but we pick up that there's an issue and signpost on to either the memory clinic or to integrated care hubs. And you probably get similar systems or similar pathways up and down the country. I'm afraid I gave a very long-winded answer to your question. No, I'm glad you did. I, I, I was hoping I could see you were giving me the benefit there. I, I'll talk slowly so we can go. And and so diagnosis at the moment. Why why do we find? I mean, we've had questions about this from people today. Is obviously one of the reasons why it's so hard to diagnose people is, is like, first of all, I guess that is there a reluctance to to be too quick to say, oh, you have Alzheimer's because because there are so many other um, issues that could present with those same symptoms. Is that that's right? From my point of view, definitely we're very worried about giving somebody a diagnosis of dementia too soon, particularly if they've been experiencing physical health problems um, because of something called delirium, which I don't know if anybody's mentioned yet today, but is a big research interest of mine. So delirium is an acute confusional state that can have many different causes. And it usually fully resolves, doesn't always completely resolve. People with dementia are more vulnerable to getting it. Um, we're still learning a lot more about delirium and long-term effects on the brain. But what we don't want to do is diagnose someone with dementia when they have a delirium which could resolve completely. Uh, we would want to follow them up, though. We don't want them to get missed. So we want to make sure that people who have delirium, who have confusion during a physical health issue, um, are not missed. So follow them up to make sure that their cognition is, is okay, that things have fully resolved. And I think... Unfortunately, that's not always done that well. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done around dementia delirium pathways because there is so much overlap between the two conditions and people that experience them. I suppose that's the concern. And I was going to come back to you, Amanda. Go on, you were going to say- No, I was just going to say that actually we're involved in a few studies with uh, delirium um, at um, Royal Free and actually Belfast as well so I mean it, obviously there are people looking into this and because finding a reliable biomarker that to distinguish between delirium and and Alzheimer's is, would be would make a big difference right I mean if you could I think yeah one of I mean one of the things that biomarkers 
is so important for, I think, is differentiation. I mean, you all the different dementias that we look at are not going to have the same cure. And so a diagnosis of dementia is fine, but if there's a, a treatment that's going to work, a disease-modifying treatment, we need to be putting the right people in the right place to get it. And that's why Absolutely. these two important that these two uh, areas of research go in parallel because if if a treatment for one particular type of dementia does suddenly become available but you don't know who to give it to yeah it's important that that these two things work in parallel so you can distinguish between different types of dementia reliably so yeah. when so that argument, i've heard that you, some people make that argument of well what difference does it make whether somebody's got one type of dementia or another because there's no treatment anyway I've heard that I'm not I'm not making the argument, but I've heard it. Yeah, um, and that's exactly why, right? Because yeah, yeah. I mean, it won't even a drug won't get past the trial stage if you're not putting the right people in the trial. Yeah, and that's yeah. <laughs> and there will be treatments. Yeah, they would definitely will be. There will be, and we need to be in a position to get those treatments to the right people as quickly as possible when we get them. And that's been some of the pharma companies of I've, I've seen their presentations when some of the in the news when drugs have failed, the trials have failed recently, is not necessarily thinking that the drug failed, it's that they gave it to the wrong people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And this is where the blood biomarker thing actually is such a big thing at the moment. At least or not at least, but for Alzheimer's certainly, because the promising results that were seen recently do they well they seem to say i don't like to be too sure about things because i'm a scientist aren't i so i have to say (laughs) but like they definitely point to the fact that we can say if someone has a disease that's alzheimer's disease just from a blood test and in that case you can then do the blood test like in a big way you could do it at primary care and then push people into the right pathway rather than having to send people for lumbar punctures and stuff like that when they don't need to because what they have isn't Alzheimer's disease. So, you know, I think... And we're not just talking about potential treatments either. We're talking about potential prevention options as well, I guess, because if you know somebody is on a certain pathway that there's, you know, like statins for cholesterol, if there's certain... If these drugs work out to be expensive or to start with, you're yeah. only going to be able to afford to give them to the people that really need it. So having that right diagnosis again is. Yeah. yeah. And because, I mean, it seems that the marker that we're looking at at the moment shows very early. That's, that's what we need. We need people, even if you can delay the onset by five years or something, that would make a massive difference. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. To people's quality of life and continue. Yeah. So tell me that. Josie, I'm sure, wants to know the answer to this as well. So how close are we to a reliable blood test for Alzheimer's disease? Really, I mean, by close, I mean, like, something ready to cost up and say, right, can we afford to even give you know, it? I mean, I'd be, I would say five years. I would say that because what we need to do, I mean, obviously, we've had these really exciting studies and these really good results, but we need to standardise it across a across all sort of healthcare set, healthcare set, all countries that are going to do this. So, I mean, and that takes some time and it takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of samples. And I mean, we are just starting to kind of scale up what we do 
in that rather than a small study with 100, 200, 300 samples, we're looking for thousands at a time so that the results that we can give, we can then start to kind of really take some meaning from across populations rather than, and also the other thing is we need to do it across, yeah, different ethnicities and, and those kind of things as well, which is something that's always, well not always, but it is forgotten that that's what we need to do before we can, we can say something for everybody. So, um, so there is, I mean, there's a lot of work to do, but there are a lot of people who are very excited by this and trying part of what the Dementia Research Institute is, is collaboration and working together rather than all trying to win our own little prize. We want to win the big one. So, yeah. you know, so that's collaboration will make this quicker. And I, but I do think, I do think we are, we are getting towards and, and that and this is where i think nhs services need to play in as well because when you know whether that's a new infusion based uh, new therapy that has to be given via infusion or whether it's a blood test to diagnose nhs services have got to then be ready to give that can labs mm -hmm. perform that test who's going to collect it when would you give yeah. it when would you perform that test on somebody is that you know i think these are all the questions so and I think the NHS and the health system in the UK is, oh, is getting better at preparing for things rather than yeah. waiting till some, oh, by the way, we've got a blood test you can give and then having to work it out. They're working out in advance how to use things. I, think I don't we know, should... do you see that on the front line, Josie? <laughs> I, think, the... I, I think attitudes are definitely changing. Um, increasing awareness that we have to be when we're planning our services for the future we need to really take into account what's the current situation with research it's easy to become stagnant and complacent because we haven't had major developments for such a long time but we are hoping that we will have developments and we need to be able to respond to them quickly and um, I think it's going to be really important to for researchers as well to be aware of what is happening with memory services and the bigger picture and how things are going to be likely to be far more in an integrated care setting so it's not likely just to be mental health trusts in isolation doing these sorts of diagnosis but it's going to be more primary care based with specialist input and um, that is going to have an impact on delivery of any new treatments. So it actually may have been a bit easier if you just had one system to deal with, like a mental health trust, but it's it now it's like more complex because the healthcare economy that we're working in is, is kind of becoming ever more complicated and networked and integrated. So I think it's very important that the two worlds stay in communication. And I, I would say that I would really, really enjoy it more if we were able to work with our NHS colleagues that in the diagnostic labs and stuff like that, mm -hmm. because we've got different expertises that we can share. But working mm -hmm. together is very difficult to do because of mm -hmm. all the different rules and regulations mm -hmm. between, you know, so that's quite frustrating at times. Yeah, I guess that's where the, the arcs come in, isn't it? The applied research collaborations and trying to bring bring clinical services and academic institutions together a bit more, but it's not easy. 
I've not actually heard of that, so that's how. Well, yeah, so, so that's that's a part of the National Institute of Health Research, the the ARCs, which are supposed to their support implementation, right? I mean, they're, they're supposed yeah. to be... so applied research collaborations across the whole of um, England. Definitely, I'm not sure about the wider UK. Um, we've just had a new ARC, in fact, set up in Kent, Surrey, and Sussex. A brand new one that started late last year, which we're excited about. So there's money coming into Kent, Surrey, and Sussex now for applied research, which is really good news. And these, this sort of work is going to be so important going forward and bringing new treatments and tests yeah. to people who need them. And, yeah. and rapidly be able to make use of them when they come around, that this shouldn't be a new test that then takes yeah. a, further, a further six years to work out how they're going to use it, but to be able to use that quite quickly. Um, because I know you, know you can't help but see on some of the questions we've already had today, some of the comments on on. Twitter and on Facebook, because I posted this on Facebook last week, that the anxiety around getting an accurate diagnosis in the first place is is important to people, just so that they know also what to expect as, yeah. as well down down the line. And that, as you see with delirium, that they're not missing out on a treatment because they've been told mm -hmm. they have Alzheimer's when all the time mm -hmm. they could have been well actually it's probably more the other way around adam yeah I know. prevented from getting the dementia diagnosis because people are reluctant to give it a in fact just had a conversation with someone about needing to have a, a discharge planning meeting for one of our patients who at st peter's who's in a horrible position of having had repeated episodes of delirium and um we haven't been able to get a dementia diagnosis and uh, the family is struggling around that. So that is a not uncommon scenario for people to be dealing with when they're, they are uh, experiencing repeated episodes of delirium. And we think there is something else going on, but everybody's too reluctant to diagnose it. So yeah, and, and why, incredibly I, helpful there. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And why, of course, as well, I think there's, there's, there is that hesitancy for people, for these online cognition tests that you've seen springing up, the number of apps that have sprung up in the last few years, because if you, you know, I know this from doing some marketing work on dementia, joint dementia research and things, that one of the most commonly used search terms in Google is how to get a dementia diagnosis, self, have I got dementia? These are terms that come up and there's a concern that people will go away and just try to deal with this themselves. We do still have a minute or so for questions. Uh, if anybody has any, they can post them uh, in the website there. Um, and, and Josie, we haven't really mm -hmm. talked much about your, because you finished a PhD as well, quite relatively recently, which was looking at healthcare systems as a yeah, I looked at specialist continuing care services for older people. So it's quite a niche area. So looking at outcomes for people during a period of service change. But um, yeah, I'm very interested in health services research and how to get the best care most efficiently um, to the right people. Um, moving on to more of dementia delirium pathways now and trying to look at how we improve them and evaluate them in our bit of Surrey. And, and that health service evaluation and health care research actually is one of the few areas we don't have that many people talking about today, I have to say. So if, I, if we repeat this, I'll make sure that that's covered more in the future. Somebody else asked a question. I don't know if this is, if this is particularly one that 
uh, either of you can take, but somebody's just posted a question on YouTube. David uh, Key uh, asks, are, there, are you aware of any research in the disproportionate impact of dementia among LGBTQ plus seniors? Um, uh, he thinks there's very little funding in that. Uh, is that anything that you've come across? Say it again, I couldn't quite understand. Um, are, are, any, are you aware of any researchers studying the disproportionate impact of dementia amongst LBGTQ? Oh, oh, yeah, no, I'm not actually, but it would be a very important area. I think there probably is, but it's none that I am aware of, sadly. I know Alzheimer's Society have got a, a specific um, work stream looking at this as well, particularly because mm. also as well, the number of people um, from this community uh, coming forward to participate in research is quite uh, under, mm. underrepresented mm. as well. Yeah. Um, um, we're out of time. Thank you very much, Amanda Hazelgrove from UCL and uh, Dr. Amanda Hazelgrove, rather, and Dr. Josie Jenkinson <laughs> as well. From, uh, from Surrey. Thank you very much for joining us both. Um, Thanks very much for having thank us. Thank you. Well done, Adam. Make sure you get a drink and <laughs> donate, everybody. Oh, the Money. Keep up the good work, guys. Thank you ever so much for joining us. Thank you. Bye. Bye.